knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Go hunt the deer where the deer are, not where you romantically want to kill one. Kill them where they're at. Some of the fun part of it is, is every buck's got a personality and figuring that individual buck out can be the funnest challenge of all. Solitary big old bucks, they're kind of like dudes. We kind of get old and fat and crotchety, and I want to scratch my balls. I want to do the things the way I want to do them. I don't want anybody telling me anything different. There's a lot of names in our neck of the woods that you'll never hear that are some of the best mule deer hunters you'll never meet. I was tired of being a spectator of deer. I'm going to sit over here and just watch what deer do. I want to go be a deer for a day. Just simply seeing more game, seeing the animal, people don't understand how much that ups your odds. This is Jeremy Duggar. And this is Mark Smith, the Muley Slayer on the Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. I've been blessed to harvest 22 of the 29 North American animals with my bow. My personal 24-hour record for death threats is 88. They will start putting two and two together and realize this is how you call bulls in. So when I go hunting now, that's the ethos I take with me. You know, whatever whatever this hunt is going to throw at you, you pull your big girl pants up and you get on with it. Giant bucks are freaking awesome. They're beautiful. But you know what? I would not trade this first buck for anything in the world. So I'm really, I'm a geek. Magicians and dragons and magic swords. <laughs> I shit you not, man. I'm the biggest dork in the gun business. I'm Freddie Hartice, Hollywood Hunter. This is Aaron Snyder. Hey, this is Trevin Stoltzfus with Outback Outdoors. This is Rihanna Carey. Hi, this is John Sloan of the interviews with the Haunting Masters. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. All right, y'all, we are here at the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo in Salt Lake City. It is a beautiful friday afternoon i am absolutely exhausted and i haven't even done anything yet. <laughs> yeah. um, but i am sitting here with mark the muley slayer smith and jeremy taught mark everything he knows duggar That's <laughs> um, absolutely right. yep 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 and we are that. here to talk hardcore elk hunting we wait. I'm out. No, see sorry, you later, man. I uh, I get con- I'm really yeah. tired. I get confused a little bit. What are the, what are the other things with the antlers? Mule deer. Yes. Yeah. We yeah. are here to talk the mule deer. The true icon of the West, if I must. There we go. I think I'm hilarious. I really do. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. Dad jokes. You know what I mean? Uh, dad jokes all day long. But uh, yeah. So one thing, Mark. I've we've already kind of had you on the podcast. I cannot remember which episode number, but I'll have to look that up. But so we've kind of gone through your background a little bit. But Jeremy, one thing I always like to start out with is just um, an introduction of who you are and how you got introduced to hunting in the outdoors. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So I started hunting when I was uh, 10 years old, begged my dad to start when I was nine. (laughs) 
That's how that went down. I can remember hunting. We called them dogs back then. I was being used for a dog, in other words, chasing deer out of the trees for my dad, <laughs> who was elevated on a, on a bench or a ridge. And I can remember that when I, when I turned 10, I was begging him to hunt when I was nine, but when I turned 10, we were out in the woods, and he killed a deer, and I'm begging him, please take me back to town and give me a tag, because obviously back then, you could just go buy a tag. And he did. Like, <laughs> and it was, it was amazing, man. So I started hunting when I was 10, but... Of course, small game, pellet gun action from, from I can't even remember how young I was when I oh, started yeah. that. Favorite gift every Christmas was the new pellet gun, and that's how that went. So rabbits and I don't imagine other, other stuff, you know, many so. kids, wherever you're from, that if you, if you got a pellet gun as a kid or a, a BB gun, I mean, I guarantee there's some dead squirrels, some dead pigeons, maybe yeah. a dead raccoon in your backyard. I don't care whether you're from Los Angeles, whether you're from New York, or whether you're from dead center of the Midwest. I guarantee as a kid, you sh- <laughs> if you got a BB gun, you shot some sort of small game Stuff animal. Stuff died, yep. you, you got it. Yeah, and I, I'm a firm believer that it's, it's a lot nature, not nurture, mm-hmm. because I feel like it was in me from the time I was born. You know, I wanted to shoot and go hunt things. You know what I mean? So... If you had to try to make me say where did it begin, I would say when I was born, probably, because I was born to love it. You know what I mean? Yep. So, um, But that's as far as big game and mule deer hunting specifically, um, my dad introduced me to it. But at that point, I'd already been killing rabbits and, <laughs> you know, whatever, yeah. just like you said. And that led into mule deer. And then I just I had a passion for mule deer early on. So started when I was 10, and here I am, uh, 49, yep. almost mm-hmm. 50. So speaking of mule deer, all jokes aside, we are here to talk about mule deer, and I could not think of two better guys to have on the podcast to help fix my terrible mule deer <laughs> record, uh-huh. albeit my very first, so my very first tag filled, my very first, I guess, big, da- big game, uh, big game harvest was, was a mule deer out in Arizona on the over-the-counter archery tag. Last minute, a teeny little velvet spike who will, to this day, I don't care what I kill. There will be nothing on this earth that I will kill that will ever take the place of honor <laughs> of that teeny-ass yeah. little, little cool. deer head above my computer. You know, he will, he will forever be there with the tag right next to him. And, uh, yeah, it's awesome, man. But, so really, uh, you know, I want to start from the beginning with this. Uh, mule deer, I feel like... Elk, because of the romanticism of it, you can find a lot of resources online for how to locate elk, how to hunt elk, how to call elk, all of this stuff, just because it's kind of become this big, romantic, mysterious thing, so people have put a lot of effort towards the resource. I don't feel like there's as much, and there's crossover, but I don't feel like there's as much out there for mule deer. So, I mean, start from the beginning. You know, say I, I'm like, okay, I draw um, Montana mule deer tag again this year. What now? How do I how do I go about you know scouting scouting out my unit? How do I go about trying to find a place to look for mule deer? What do I look for? Provided you don't already know anything about mule deer, or yeah. I mean, you're a whitetail guy coming out west from your first mule yeah. deer hunt. Let's say that, uh, or I'll you're some idiot from Los Angeles that wanted to start hunting. Before you get into that, the reason I think for not a lot of information out there is because elk are romantic because you can call them in. Mm-hmm. You know. So there's a whole other side to hunt an elk than just hunt an elk. I mean, you have calling contests. You need to learn how to call them in, right? So, yeah. Yeah. so I think there's, there's a lack of information about how to hunt mule deer versus elk because of that. Yeah. So. And then that's why there's the interest in it. But so if a guy's just like, man, something tripped my trigger about a mule deer, 
um, I want to go out and hunt one. Well, you're not going to use your whitetail tactics. Although, but that being said, I killed my first mule deer out of a tree stand because I didn't know any other way. <laughs> I asked him where to go, and he's like, you can go hunt this place over here, this most generic place go this is where everybody sends everybody to go and i come back in like hey i got one he's like are you serious man like you really got one I'm like yeah man i put some trees up in a cedar tree or some boards up in a cedar tree with a screw gun back in the day and i sat there and when they all came by i shot one that was running by and i got it right that's how i got my first mule deer but what i would say is one of the greatest resources um and it's actually where i got some of the information for my seminar today is uh, right off the Utah Divisional Wildlife's homepage or off of their their page, go to Mule Deer. Just go to Mule Deer, look up info. My gosh, man, I wish I would have had that 25 years ago, right on the Utah Divisional Wildlife's page. They, it got, talks about habits, habitat, the food, uh, food per season, like names of grasses, names of forbs that they key in on. So if I was going to go Mule Deer hunting, I would say, what do Mule Deer eat? Hey, Google. You, know, you can do that now. Hey, Google, what do Mule Deer eat? <laughs> They eat hip, rose hips. They eat bitter brush. They eat this. Okay, fine. Now I'm going to Google, hey, Google, what does antelope bitter brush look like? I'm going to take a picture of it, put that on my phone. Now I'm going to go out in the woods and look for these things with deer tracks around them. It's so much farther ahead than when, and that's what I was talking about earlier today. If when, I'm, when I am hunting mule deer and I watch them eat something, I do two things. As soon as that deer's out of the way, I'm going to go look at his track, if especially the deer I want to kill. I'm going to go look at his tracks and identify it and memorize it because it's like a thumbprint. There's something about that track different than any other deer deer track, right? I want to know when he's around, I want to know it because now I, gotta, I, I know what his track looks like. Mm -hmm. But two, I want to go look at what he was eating, and I'm going to Google that. You know, until I find a picture of it, no, I have actually in my lifetime seen a deer eat that and just start storing all this information. Thinking that way rather than, I wonder what mule deer eat. I wonder where you go find a mule deer. No, no, no. Specifically, are you asking what do mule deer eat and when? Know what that looks like and then go find that. Because when you find that in the early season, you're going to find the bucks. In the late season, you're going to find the does and you're going to find the bucks. We'll get into that later. But that, that, to me, I would research it from a very analytical, scientific standpoint. Let the science do the work, not the romantic, you know, and that's different than learning to get a wayne carlton call and go blow on it and get in, mm -hmm. and, and that's fun that's way funner than talking to google right <laughs> but i'm not trying to kill an elk through google i'm trying to kill a mule deer and my best resource is online books uh podcasts like this is one of the greatest now in this era uh it's actually probably the number one way and then you know back in our day it was vhs tapes <laughs> and it was just it was just hey look at me go kill a mule deer with my bow they don't even teach you nothing right so anyway I don't know if and, and back in our day too i mean we stuck close to home yeah i mean it's not like it is now i mean there's a lot of people venturing to different states and and having to learn what you're asking they have to learn what you're asking whereas you know when you're staying close to home it's a lot easier game you can go out there and look at them every day and see what they're eating and know day. where they're at yeah yeah but the food source is really big food source is huge i was gonna say so would you say uh, locating their food source is like your first step that yeah, food source and water is it and it's the number one in the terrains too those food sources if you're at 12,000 feet in Colorado, that food source is completely different than 6,000 feet in New Mexico, mm -hmm. right? I mean, complete food source. But there is some crossover in some of the grasses, broad, broad leaf, broad leaf forbs, woody browse, because deer browsers, not grazers, right? They, they, they're not big grass eaters, but they will eat broad grass, broad leafed grass. The real fine, thin stuff you see, like elk will feed on and all that, you're not going to see a mule deer eating on that. And like, we used to always, this goes into, 
kill the bucks where the bucks are, not where you want to. We used to have these places <laughs> that were gorgeous, and we'd always daydream, drive by, and go, man, you just see me stalking a buck out there. And for every year, we would talk about that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And those beautiful aspen trees, right? We could go out there, and I just want to kill a buck. And one day, he's like, look, dude. I've been hunting up here for 20 years. I've never seen a deer over there. <laughs> I, I go, yeah, but I just want to kill one over there. He goes, well, keep dreaming because you're not. But I'm like, we always keep seeing them down in this stupid brush. He goes, you know what? That's what they're eating is that stupid brush. Oh, go brush. hunt the deer where the deer are, not where you romantically want to kill one. <laughs> kill yeah. them where they're at. 2,000, perfect example of that. I totally like, I'm like, I want to go kill a deer in the lava rocks. Did we talk about that on your last podcast? Some podcast we may I did. Have. We I may want have. to go over there. I just want to, we both heard the same story. Or I heard the story. I visualized what our friend Slim said about shooting this deer in the black lava rocks. Wasn't it Slim or Hank or one of them? It was Slim. And I'm like, I want that in my lifetime. So we actually tried to will that into happening. We never even see a deer in the lava rocks. But I want to <laughs> see this deer in the lava rocks because I, I heard about it. However, when you're driving past the lava rocks, right off this side of the road, every single day there was nice four-point bucks. So finally one day we're like, you know, let's go get a tree stand down there. And I missed a buck down there that year. <laughs> but... Don't worry about where you want to kill a deer. I want to win the lottery. But if you're not buying tickets, you're not going to win. If you're not seeing deer in the lava rocks, you're not going to shoot them in the lava rocks, right? you got to go it, where they're at and that's where the food's it's at. Back to, it's back to the food source. The lava rock had grass, had grazed by it, where the bucks actually were, which was pretty close to the lava rocks. It wasn't that far away, mm -hmm. but it had oaks and oaks dropping acorns. <laughs> duh, <laughs> duh. <laughs> go I mean, where they are. You know what I mean? So, so sometimes you're close. Like sometimes you're close to where you need to be. But to specifically get where you specifically need to be, it really becomes about food source a lot of the times. Yeah. It really does. So we're looking for, uh, for food sources, and, of course, you know, that's specific to the time of year and the location and the elevation. Uh, but, you know, you say you draw your tag, you, uh, you look for that area, you figure out the, the food source. Are there any maybe specific terrain features that mule deer prefer, anything to look for when you're – when you're out scouting, uh, that might give you a hint. That that may change depending on where you're at, but there's you're always going to need for large bucks. And I, I don't know if we're talking about deer or we're talking about big deer. Well, that, let's talk about big deer because everyone likes big deer. Yeah, big deer. So so big deer are going to need cover. So you're probably not going to go to somewhere where there's very little food and very little cover and find a deer that's grown up to the age class necessary mm -hmm. to pop his genetic potential. Okay. So, so the terrain feature wouldn't be open, very open. You know, you're going to have to have, sometimes it'll be a food source that they come to from a bedding area. So there's always going to be some, some thick cover. All, you know, everywhere I've ever killed a big deer, there's going to be some thick cover. The one I shot this year was so thick it was annoying. I mean, it was very <laughs> flat, it was very thick, and that buck was big and old for a reason. It was flat and it was thick. The closest glassing point was way out of rifle range. Yeah. Like, like almost out of glassing range. And there's just nowhere to find him from an elevated position. So, so thick cover, for sure, is if you're talking about terrain, mm -hmm. quick escape routes. Um, in our neck of the woods in New Mexico, it's really cool because when I go to glass, a lot of times if I'm elevated across the canyon and looking across to the other side of the canyon, I'm looking for points and fingers that come down because those deer know that if they're on a bench on that pointer finger, no matter which direction you come from, they can quickly get out of your view and escape you. Okay. And so terrain feature sometimes and where they bed, it's, it's obviously strategic. They're not going to bed against a box canyon, in other words, and have no <laughs> escape when you're coming at them, right? Yeah. They're going to get somewhere where they can quickly escape you. Um, the buck I killed this year was on that, on a point similar to that, kind of came down, right? 
we were smart enough to get on both sides of them. We had enough individuals to get the job done. You come at that deer by yourself from where our buddy walked to, you're not going to kill that deer because that deer's going to come around you and leave. In other words, he didn't leave his only escape route in front across an opening. Yeah. If you were hunting solo, he knew how to get away. He was in a good position to he get away. He went right back to where the danger came from, knowing yeah. I'm just going to go where that guy just, and I've heard him for 30 minutes up there. Mm-hmm. I'll just go from where he came from. And that's exactly what he did. But he was in the vantage point to see him go across that top and when he bop popped him. So, so, so there, a big, a large deer will use terrain, obviously, to their advantage because they're going to be able to get away from danger. They're going to mm-hmm. escape danger. So, mm-hmm. so you would look for areas that would lend itself to make you think, well, if I was a buck and I was there, I can get away in a lot of different locations, right? Yeah. Um, All deer, but specifically big mature deer, are the masters at using topography to their advantage. Yeah. I watched the deer he killed the day before he killed it vanish into thin air, poof, behind a sage bush that's about a foot tall. <laughs> and what happened was there's an arroyo there, a big arroyo out west in New Mexico. Uh, arroyo is a Spanish word for, like, drainage or creek, whatever. Mm-hmm. An arroyo, it was about 10 feet wide and about 12 feet deep. But you can't see it because it's flat earth. And I saw the deer come across that and then was gone. And later I realized when he got to that sage bush, he just got close enough to it that when he went down in the arroyo, he turned and went east or west and went three or 400 yards. On this, that he just used topography to, to stay away from the, and that was in the middle of the morning. I mean, like during opening day, like he just knew, well, I kind of got caught out here flat-footed because a truck came by. Well, I saw it. It mm. scared me. And so he's like, well, I'm caught. And rather than run off and act like a stupid deer, you know, like a young deer, I'm going to act very immature and silly. I'm going to bounce away. The deer didn't bounce away. The deer put his head down low as his shoulders, pinned his ears back, and walked as slow as he could to that ditch and then disappeared. Like, mm-hmm. so super cool. Like, super cool. That's how the deer got the name the Fonz, man. We called him the Fonz because he was, he was super cool, man. He just he knew how to do it. And then the same thing when he shot it, not to hijack whatever you were saying, but Tim walked. We told Tim, our friend, he was doing the walking. We were going to be doing the shooters. No, don't just walk that ridge. Literally put your boot print under every tree on that thing because you could be eye to eye with that deer before you get him out of his bed because mm-hmm. he's not going to leave, and that's exactly what happened. The day before when he saw him, we, we thought that he maybe went into to a group of trees there under a bluff, and it wasn't a very big group of trees. It was pretty small. And so I told Tim, so we kind of set up, you know, on a couple. He got high and got elevated. I got across the sagebrush flat. And we you got high while hunting? That's I just did. terrible. Yeah, we were <laughs> in Colorado. <laughs> Again. <laughs> um, so, so we were basically working escape routes. I told Tim, I want you to go into this small patch of trees. I don't know how big was it, 500 yards yeah. across, 500 yards maybe. Yeah. And I told Tim, I said, I want you to go in there and don't stop walking for three hours. <laughs> and he looked and at me like cool. I was He'll crazy, it, right? Yeah. And so he, he gets in there and he starts walking into to Mark's point. You know, we want him to walk under every tree twice. We don't want... We don't want to have to come back to this area. We don't want to leave this area thinking, well, maybe he's still in there, right? Process yeah. elimination. Because, yeah, big big deer, that's what they do. They hide. They, they know not to run out in the open and get shot and stuff like that. I'll try to wrap this back to terrain driven. Oh, no, but, no, no, keep but, going. Um, but uh, so Tim gets in there and he starts walking around. And I'll never forget it. He texted me about an hour and a half in and basically said, am, am I done yet? <laughs> I'm like, no, go for another 30 minutes. And I think he got Mark, Mark involved a little bit and said, Mark, Mark thinks he's, I've done a pretty good job. I'm like, well, let's walk a little bit longer. Yeah. But you know, Dad says I did a good job. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, not, gonna, I'm yeah. not paying him. Yeah, do whatever, man. He's, yeah. He's, they're yeah. better friends than I am, so Duggar's had his way with him. I'm glad he did. <laughs> yeah. So he, I think he walked. He, he had his little watch that shows how many miles he walked. He walked three miles in circles, you know, <laughs> you know a 500-yard patch. But the, the point is, is when we killed him the next day, we were doing it the same way. We need, you need to cover all that terrain because they're just masters of escape. And uh, leave no stone unturned, but 
Well, it's like it, you may have scouted an area, but they will, they somehow manage, they know every single teeny little roll that you've missed, every exactly where the, the shadow's going to be uh, behind that tree at a certain time of day. I mean, it's their life and death, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I can put it this way. My love for Big Mule and how smart they are. If you took away their, their hooves so they didn't make no tracks, you took away trail cameras and you took away glass, I don't even know if I'd do it. Yeah? <laughs> that yeah. would make it very difficult, right? Yeah. It would make it very, very hard. Tracks tell you a lot. If you go to a new area, tracks are going to tell you a lot, leaving, you know what I'm saying? Um, and glass makes it a lot easier to find them. Mm-hmm. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So, so, well, so smart. Speaking of tracks then, what you you know you say tracks will tell you a lot. So, you know, say I I've, I've found I've located some food. I'm like, okay, there's a crap ton of tracks around around this bush, around, you know, this this bit of whatever. What am I looking for with these tracks then? Uh, buck track, you know, there's a lot of women in the world that got big feet. And there's probably <laughs> some does that got big feet. But at no point does the biggest doe that I've ever seen have a foot like a mature buck has. And it's typically wider than, you know, it's wider than long mm-hmm. and it's heavy. And then when you see one, it's pretty soft sand and you got the track is big. You can just go, that's a big track and there's dew claws involved. That's usually a buck. And a walking stride on a mature buck. They're, they'll overstep. Their back feet will be in their front feet tracks. Where a doe, a doe, you'll have four tracks as it's walking along, right? But okay. a big old mature buck, as he's making a gate walking, sometimes that back foot will put a footprint right in that front footprint, right? Almost every time. Yeah. Almost every time. You just know. And you, you have to go look, though. Like, I'm telling people this. Duggar's a master at it. But go do it. Go mm-hmm. for yourself. If you're like, ah, this guy, because I know there's a lot of old-timers that don't believe anything I'm saying, but it's unfortunate it's true, <laughs> because I went and looked. Just go, when a deer walks off, don't just leave and go another way. Go where he was jacking around. That was one of the best things I ever started doing <laughs> is go jack around. When I was in the high country, I lived. One of the biggest bucks I ever killed in the high country in Colorado, I killed trying to be a big buck one day. I had a mountain to myself, no agenda. And I was like, I'm out of, I'm burnt out. I'm fried. I need, I just need something different. You know what? I'm just going to go pretend. I was 40, 40 years old. I was 40. It was 10 years ago. I was going to kill a big buck color. I'm just going to go be a big buck today. I'm going to go pretend I'm a big buck. I have nothing else to do today. So I got up, got me some water, got my bow, got my pack with my food. And I went and I, I messed around in little openings I go lay down in a deer bed. I'm, I'm not, I would lay down in a deer bed like this. I just lay there. Like, I'm just going to be in close proximity to deer. 
And I'm going to get up. I'm going to walk over here and mess around with this water hole a little bit. And I played with it, splashed the water in it. I walked down to the next deer bed, and I laid down. Laid down for a little while, got up about 10 o'clock, went down a little further down the mountain. Hadn't spooked nothing yet. Laid down in a bed and went to sleep. Went sound asleep. <laughs> woke up at 1 o'clock. I woke up at 1 o'clock. Stood up, rubbed my eyes. There's a ledge right here that goes off of an avalanche chute. I'm going to walk over there and just look off that. And I took two steps, and my bow was laying there. So I'm going to take my bow. <laughs> I grab my bow. I take two steps, and I hear the unmistakable thunder of deer hooves. And it stopped. I walked out to the ledge, two big mature four-point bucks standing right there looking up at me. I had on some great camouflage. I was in a boulder slide. I literally went and became a big buck that day and bedded down with them. And they, I was bedded within 50 yards of them the whole time, just being a big buck, right? These bucks get up because they didn't smell me. Obviously, they never stopped if they smelled me, but they heard something. So they're just going to bounce out and look. And by the time they kind of saw, they thought where I was at, I already had range on them. My sight was set, and I heart shot that deer. Nice. And it was 163-inch four-point in the high country. I mean, I just went and was a But I decided to do that because... I was tired of being a spectator of deer. I'm going to sit mm -hmm. over here and just watch what deer do. And I've done that all my life. I know how to do that. I want to go be a deer for a day. And by gosh, I went and just became a deer for a day, and I got one of the best bucks with my bow ever by doing that. <laughs> that kind of thinking, that out-of-the-box, Jeremy Duggar is the master of out-of-the-box thinking. He, he, is always a, he is the guy that's always just a little ahead of the curve. He's always telling me the intel I need to get things done in mule deer hunting. But he thinks I was like, why... He's analytical. Like, why are we doing that when we could do that? Don't go to the freaking lava rocks. You see where they're seeing every day? Yeah, man, go put your tree stand right there. Let's do that. And that's not out-of-the-box thinking, but it's – wait, 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 wait. I've heard him say that a million times. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> we're, we're being retarded, man. I was like, wait, 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 wait. wait what's going on? What's going on? He does it to me all the time. Wait, 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 wait. We're, we're being retarded, man. Let's go do this. And I hear it all the time. I'm like, yeah, you're right. So now in my day-to-day -day life, you know, I got to wear this little bracelet – WWJD, what would Jeremy do, man? <laughs> so I just, I think about, I'm going to approach this the way Jeremy did. He's a smart guy. He's my best friend, but he's a smart guy. And, and when it comes to deer, he's really smart. And so that day I was thinking, man, I bet Duggar's never even done this. But then again, the first big buck he ever killed, what'd you do, man? You woke up from a nap because you heard deer and you shot this giant unicorn buck, right? It wasn't so, the first deer I killed, but it was a really one good of the, deer. The first big ones, right? <laughs> yeah, it was for sure. That's an awesome Tracking Concerning tracking. A big buck, you can track. You can track a big buck anytime. You can track a big buck right after he sheds his antlers. It don't matter. He's still, you know, and it's still a big yeah. buck, right? It's still a mature deer. So one of the funnest things to do ever is to track a big deer and just learn what that deer does, and you'll be amazed. Yeah. You can track. You could take a week's vacation and go. And now I'm going to go track big deer, and you would probably learn more in a week about what you need to do in any state to kill a big deer then you might learn in five seasons and five years of hunting i'm telling you yeah because it's amazing what they'll do when you track them and you get on them i'm not the, gonna i'm not telling you it's the best way to kill them it's definitely a tactic that you can employ sometimes and make it happen and it, it will work mm -hmm. but it's definitely like mark said one of the best ways to learn about what how they behave and what they do go engage with them and probably engage not while you're them. trying to hunt them because you're trying to hunt them yeah right. you don't want your scent and your, your sound and everything but the guys that are the 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 world's best mule deer hunters I'm going to drop a few names here. Jeremy Duggar, Ryan Hatch, Jason Carter. Those guys aren't guys that go out to the woods right after they get a tag, look around, and then go back when season opens. On any given Tuesday, Jeremy might just go track a deer somewhere in New Mexico. He might go hang a trail camera on a pond in April just to see 
what's even just weird stuff like that. Ryan Hatch just lives with them all the time. Jason Carter just lives with them all the time. The guys that are really good at consistently killing the biggest bucks are just way more engaged with the animal all the time. Mm-hmm than just being a seasonal guy, right? And if I lived, I do pretty good from having to come from Texas, but when I lived in Colorado and in New Mexico, we were always out shed hunting, messing around, looking around, just messing around with them and always getting that intel from where they're at, what they're doing, how they're reacting. And he's gone out, uh, he learned from Kenny that time, go out and track them all summer and watch where they escape. Then on opening day, when you go track them and where they escape, have a guy go to sit where right they there. Escape, yeah. Boom, done it. I killed a great <laughs> buck doing that with my my good friend Kenny Deeren. There's a lot of names in our neck of the woods that you'll never hear. That are some of the best mule deer hunters you'll never meet. Mm-hmm. He's and, one of them. Um, for sure. He's one of them. And and uh, he, the very fast version of that is 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 we were out there and he said, look, I've been tracking these bucks all summer. This is what they're going to do. So we drove down a little dirt road until we found those tracks. And he cut the tracks. Here they are, right here. We go around a corner. This was in September. Here's a pile of velvet by a bush next to the road. <laughs> He's like, that's one of them, obviously, right? And he says, I don't, I've never seen them. I haven't seen these bucks at all. But I know by track size, there's a mature buck and probably two immature bucks, and I know what they're going to do. So he took me out there and set me up and he said, just get ready. And it wasn't even maybe uh, 45 minutes later. I look up, and here's this nice buck standing in front of me. He came out of nowhere, and I shot it. Oh, man. Had your son with you, right? Yeah, I had my, son, had my son Dustin with me. And uh, here comes Kenny. Here, the gun go off, and he's excited. And he's running down, running down, you know, <laughs> a, little, a little clay spine coming to me, you know. Just he can't wait to see what this buck is because he's been chasing it all summer. Just hadn't seen it. Yeah. Right? And uh, so, so by putting that effort in, and, and that's a local thing. This is not going to help you if you go to Nevada next year. You've never yeah. been there. But, um, but locally, if you do that sort of a thing, it, it ups your odds. Just yep. it, it skyrockets and it's awesome. So would you say that generally, I mean, obviously it's not a hard and fast rule, but generally would you say that tracking is more of a kind of a preseason scouting thing, seeing behavior than necessarily like on the day you're hunting sort of no. thing? No, we track down and smoke them down all the time, man. <laughs> Bows too. We, 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 we'll track them. Uh, mostly it's deer drives when we shoot them in January with our bows. Just get big, big groups of deer moving. We're not chasing them with red rag, but we just kind of track them and get them mm-hmm. moving. And De- Jeremy taught me years ago, just look topographically, look down at it. The trees flow like water. Like, just watch the natural flow of the earth, right? Mm-hmm. And the deer just follow those little trickles, and we get guys set up on point with bows. And we've killed a few deer over the years on deer drives like that. With rifles, it's... Go to the obvious escape route, setting saddles. We have rifles we shoot 500 yards with, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, but no, no, no. That's probably, dude. It honestly, there's not really a day that goes by when we're hunting in country, especially in New Mexico. And and if we lived in Arizona, it'd be the same way there. There's probably not a day of the general rifle season that goes by. At some point, we're not tracking deer. Like it's not something we do if we have to. Let's get all the other garbage out of the way because that's my favorite way to hunt deer. It's my absolute favorite way to yeah. hunt deer, and he's really good at it. Uh, and uh, but we also have hunts where we go set under one pine tree, and we'll set under that pine tree for nine days, and we'll shoot migrating deer as they walk by. That's an awesome way too. We I mean we gain weight on that hunt. People are like, man, you gain ten pounds on that. Well, yeah, I eat pop tarts all day while I watch migrating deer go down the river. And I shot them. It's pretty cool. But then in the next hunt, we'll go to New Mexico and do hundred miles a day tracking. But it's whatever, whatever the situation tells us is what we do tracking watching migration routes we would tree stand hunt if we had to we would road hunt if we have to and that's a very effective way i'm not talking about riding around the back of the truck with a bow arrow knocked like we were talking about (laughs) but there's effective ways to go cover a lot of ground where the deer are very sparse Mm -hmm. why for the sake of integrity 
am I going to sit in all this deerless country because, you know, that's pure. I'm just going to, well, I should just be carrying rocks and atlatl or something then. But no, it's deer season. I got the 257 Weatherby Magnum. I got this Toyota. I'm going to use it to my advantage. I'm going to cruise down this road because loggers have been coming down this road every day. Mm-hmm. And I might just get a glimpse of the buck I want to shoot. Am I going to hang the gun out the window? Absolutely not. But I might see the buck up on that ridge, and I might get out of that Toyota, and I might walk over there 40 feet to that tree and rest on it and blow his lungs right out of him <laughs> because it's 100% legal, and that's how I got it done. Yep. I mean, I'm just saying there's nothing wrong with that, and people need to just come to grips with Well, that's what we were talking about earlier. Was... Whatever's legit. I mean, and if, you, if you're probably one of the guys that say you're not doing it, you're lying yep. to yourself. <laughs> you just, you're just not that good of a road hunter. <laughs> you saw, yeah, I get you see the You see the buck of a lifetime just – you know, whatever. If you're shooting archery, you know, 100 yards off the road. Yeah. You see the buck of a lifetime a few hundred yards off the road, you're shooting a rifle. I don't know. I do not know a single person. I know lots of people that say they uh, they would would never. Oh, no. I would never. That's, I'm not yeah. about that. I guarantee every single one of them would. I don't <laughs> they see would hop it. out of that car, step oh. out, step off the road, and boom. I'm going to give you the short version of that. I see no difference in stepping. I parked a vehicle, mm-hmm. and I either walked 40 feet and shot that deer or I parked at the trailhead and walked four miles and shot that deer. To me, it's absolutely no difference. Not one. I just did it without a pack on my back. I'm yep. just, I'm just, I just got luckier than you today. But I've killed some really big bucks where I walked 40 yards from the road and shot them. And I've killed bucks where I walked four miles in with a 70-pound pack on. I'm going to tell you right now, the buck that I killed with a 70-pound pack on doesn't mean any more to me than the one that I shot at 40 feet from the truck. Yep. It's, the, the hunt is the hunt. The situation is the situation. It, just, it is what it is. And there's not a wrong or right way. As long as it's, le- as long as it's legal and it's ethical, right? Ethical mm-hmm. is I didn't hang the gun out the window. I didn't stand in the bed of the truck and shoot the deer, right? Yeah. That's wrong, and it's illegal. But getting out of a moving truck, walking over 40 feet, and then shooting whatever I'm after, there's not... You, you, I don't know you, and you're telling this deer story. Honestly, uh, I'm going to be like, man, hey, that's a freaking cool story. If yeah. you're like, man, I put on my backpack, and I went in seven, I was on the ninth day of a 15-day, da-da-da-da-da, and I did all this stuff, shot this buck, and it's a 140-inch buck. Awesome, man, it's good. Or you're like, man, I just killed this really great buck, 145-inch buck, and I got out of my truck, man, I walked 40 feet and shot it. I'm just as intrigued by that story because yeah. I know I know that that's real. You're telling me the truth, and I, I value that story. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's kind of a tangent. but it, Yeah, I think, I think the people that say, I would never do that, what they really mean is I would never do that when somebody was watching. <laughs> <laughs> or they've just never had the opportunity. Well, so, I mean, yeah. 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 And then tracking, I think one of the biggest myths um, that there is, and, I, and I, when I say this, I'm, there's probably going to be people listening to your podcast that go, I don't think that guy knows what he's talking about. It may happen, right? But, I'll post up but your I, email address. They can send, <laughs> yeah, send they can send to you. They can do whatever. But <laughs> there's nothing wrong with tracking a mule deer where spooking them out of the country is concerned. In other words, some people are like, well, why would you do that before season? You're going to run them out of there, and you won't be able to find them again. <laughs> that's a lie. That's, that is, that's, no, 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 no. You're, you're better off tracking him and knowing what he's going to do, right? You know what, Hunt, comes to mind for me um, when you and Jimmy Hammer are in that saddle in 2A? And I tracked those bucks all summer. I'd also tracked for my dad the year before with a tag. And I said, look, no matter where we jump these deer, I promise you they're going to go through this saddle. My brother was going to track the north edge of that. And I said, no matter how far out you go from that saddle, I know you know that saddle's over here. But if you start tracking a buck and he goes a mile that way, don't stop tracking him. Yeah. Because he will eventually come back and go through that saddle. That's what's going to happen. What happened? Buck came through the saddle, but Jimmy was standing too close to the air. I was standing back <laughs> where I could see to shoot, and Jimmy was just standing over here watching. Well, here comes the buck, and Jimmy goes, and I look, 
and I'm like, okay, but you need to get down because he's just standing out on the point watching the deer come at us. And I'm like, I can't even shoot it because Jimmy's standing there, right? The deer's coming. Had Jimmy not been standing there, I'd have shot that deer point blank in the saddle coming over the top. But the deer's coming and goes, sees Jimmy and just turns and goes off. It wasn't his fault. We didn't know, but yeah, my yeah. That's My point happened. is that buck, had Mark not been in that saddle, that buck's going to go to that saddle and lay right back down where the whole thing started. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so deer, I mean, they're programmed. They know, where, they know how to escape where they live. They're programmed to do that, and that's what they're going to do. So you can go track them before season and track them before season and track them before season. You're not hurting anything. Yeah. All you're doing is learning and helping your odds to kill that deer when yes. season comes around. And that's yeah. my opinion, and, that, and that's an opinion driven by a lot of success doing that. Yeah. A lot of success doing that. That that is really interesting because it, it is. It's like traditional wisdom would say, "Oh, you don't want to disturb them. You want to, you know, you want to be a fly on the wall. You just want to be completely unnoticed and watch them, you know, keep them." But the thing is, yeah, when you're tromping through the woods with your bow and you're you're covering ground and you're tracking them, you are going to be pushing them, and so you might as well do that preseason, like you said, to see what they do. It makes you got it. It's so it's weird. It does. It sounds like completely nonsensical, but it makes absolute sense. <laughs> you got it. I got one other story about that okay. real quick, real okay. fast. Like, I jumped a buck on a ridge. Me and my buddy were hunting out of his bed. There's his bed. I had 15 power Swarovskis on a tripod, outdoorsman tripod. I knew I was going to begin to track this buck, so I just didn't want to pack those. I'm that way sometimes. Yeah. I set those, that, that, those binoculars in that deer's bed. <laughs> I tracked that deer off one bench. And that thing came right back down to lay in his bed again, and my binoculars were in them. <laughs> yep. That deer's tracks went by that bed. It went off two benches. Guess what happened again? Circle back around again? Right to lay down in that same bed again. <laughs> tracks right by my tripod again. I'm going to be crapping me. <laughs> So oh, this funny. time, he's like, okay, this guy's not giving up. So he peeled off and went a different direction, chasing Sue. We never caught up to him. But what that illustrates is is... A, a, a big mule deer, not like an elk. An elk will run from that danger for miles. You don't mm-hmm. want to do that when you're elk hunting. You don't want yeah. to don't yeah. employ that tactic when you're elk hunting, yeah. right? But on a big mule deer, like he's going to come back and just lay down there again. He's going to come back and lay down there again. So they hide from the danger. Mm-hmm. They don't run from the danger, and they're going to stay put in their core area. And uh, so, so doing that, and, and you know, preseason's not hurting anything. So here's what I've heard. I've heard this about elk. I've heard this about other animals. Is it? it and I'm sure there's different cases, but. I've heard that you can you can generally push animals anywhere as long as you don't push them out of their beds they'll they'll come back to the area but if you push them out of their beds that's when they tend to move is that is that true with mule deer no no they'll always just keep circling around until they decide absolutely else. absolutely so um, I think we talked about this a little bit but where I <clears throat> I hit my bug bad when I finished them off this year and I got pictures of it on my phone I have to show you after the podcast but. I was with some other guys, I was with the Warners, and um, I shot the buck and, and finished him off, and I, I walked over there, and the tree that this buck died under, there's these like three mule deer beds that are just sunk into the ground. Okay. That deer had been bedding under that tree, and probably other deer as well, for I don't know how long, yeah. and I don't know how many years, but that thing, when wounded, went straight to that spot. There's some water in the bottom and stuff like that, but I took pictures of those beds. They're huge beds. Huge beds. Deep, deep, deep beds. No matter what you do to a buck that comes out of that bed right there, he's going back to He's not going to leave the country and yeah. never bed there again. He's yeah. coming back there. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe not that day, maybe not. Yeah. yeah but he's, that's going to be a bed that he's going to use throughout his life. Yeah. So... 
we're we're recognizing looking for these terrain aspects and you know where they're moving we're we're pushing deer and tracking deer in the uh, in the off season as we're getting into the season, what else? What else do we need to know about about mule deer as as we're hunting them? I'm like, okay, I know I know where they're at. I know where they're going to be. Generally, uh, what what other quirks do mule deer have? What uh, what else do I need to know uh, as I'm going out for my first mule deer hunt? Well, if you one thing is if uh, I think something people struggle with is they do find a big deer, they find a deer, and it's it's th- things. Things happen to animals that we'll never know about, right? But I've had instances where, I, at one spot specifically, we hunt together. Uh, you may have a, a target buck you're after, and you know me and Jeremy both will tell you never give up on him because he's there. But the one thing I will tell you that will make them vacate and they're gone and they ain't coming back is cats, mountain lions. Mm. When a mountain lion moves in and decides to set up shop and start eating on the deer herd, the deer herd's not going to be there very long. And that's the one thing we have found consistently throughout all the ranges, whether it's any state, at any terrain. When they usually come up missing, a cat has moved in on them. And that's mm. just, they're, they're gone. They're done then. And deer, that is the number one food source for a mountain lion is a mature mule deer buck. That is, they eat more big bucks than they do fawns. They yes. eat more big, because mule deer bucks, solitary big old bucks, they're kind of like dudes. We kind of get old and fat and crotchety, and I want to sit <laughs> in my chair, and I want to scratch my balls. I want to do the things the way I want to do them. I don't want anybody telling me anything different. Well, guess what? Now you don't have 15 sets of eyes watching your back, and you're probably going to die. And that's what mountain lions do. They eat the ones that are by themselves, yep. right? Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Well, I think, I, think we, uh, I think we may have talked about this on our podcast before, but when I was in Arizona... Um, it was insane. We were out, and, uh, you know, this was my first mule deer hunt, and uh, we were just driving. We were in, in the side-by-side driving out to the spot where we were going to glass from, and we, uh, hey, it was to the point we hadn't even turned off the music yet. Like, we weren't even anywhere near where we were planning on hunting, and we just blow out this whole group of does. They just come tearing out, and we're like, oh, does, 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 and then all of a sudden this just, like, the dictionary definition of, like, a mule deer in velvet, it was a, I want to say it was a four-point, and it was just, like, that perfectly shaped basket, wide, tall, and in velvet, so it looks four times bigger, you know, and it's, um, it was just, like, this perfect four, uh, three or four-point mule deer, and it goes tearing off, and they go bed about 250 yards away under a tree. The wind was all wrong, but there's no way I was passing up a stock on this mule deer. And so we kind of figured out, we pulled the pulled side-by-side back, and they were fully aware we were there. They just were far enough away, and the wind was in their favor. And so I proceed to start this stalk, like, way up and around and, you know, up the hill, and it was going to come back down around the other side. Like, it was going to be, like, a two, good two-mile stalk. Well, I get about a quarter, quarter to a half mile into this stalk, and all of a sudden, I just see this, like, ton of movement. All these deer blown out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, there's no way I spook these things. Like, I'm way out of their, uh, their, their line of sight. 
And then I just hear this sound that I will never, ever forget. And it, because you got the deer kind of like they're barking. They're doing their little bark that they do. And they're blowing. And then, but there's that noise. And I just, I couldn't process it at first. And I grabbed the phone or the radio and I'm calling my buddies back. I'm like, what the hell is going on? They're like, Lion, get your ass back here. Get your ass back here. And so I was stalking on this big old mule deer and. That, it's, that, and it's one of those moments where lion, you're sitting there. You, are you saying that's the lion a, killed That's unbelievable. Deer? Not the buck, but he, he grabbed one of the does that was bedded wow. with him. And we looked at pictures because wow. we had gotten we had gotten some pictures through one of the binos with a mm. phone scope. And we were looking at him later. And all of a sudden, we, you can see right where the lion is above him. As I was going in on the stock, he was just this teeny little speck, but you could pick him out. Man. And it's one of those moments where you're like, oh, man, thank God I wasn't any closer on that stock. But then the other half of you is kind of like, Oh man, too bad I wasn't any closer you on that, that stock. You were that, that been. cat's lucky day because you pushed deer. You did a deer drive. Oh yeah, pushed him right to you, man. You pushed oh, yeah. him right to him, and he got that whiff and went, "Hey, deer moved in." And well, they were those, expecting him. They man. were so focused on us too, and the wind was yeah. perfectly no, in his favor. He probably just walked right down, sat there you for can a minute. Count that deer as a kill for you, man. You killed that thing. <laughs> you were part of it. Yeah. That's a once in a lifetime experience for any one individual. Yeah, that's oh yeah, I mean, awesome. There's probably other people going, "Yeah, that happened to me too." But I mean, for any one individual, that's I don't crazy. think that'll ever happen to you again. I just pushed deer to a mountain lion. that's incredible. The ultimate. Deer drive. The ultimate deer drive. deer drive. I push deer to a mountain lion. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm trying oh, to think, Towns. You know, I want to come up with an answer for your question. What other way else do you, you know, what else would you do to, to make that deer hunt successful or what are they, how do they behave? I think every situation is different. I mean, and, and it really comes down to what tactic you're employing. If, mm-hmm. if you're glassing and it's hot, glass in the shade. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just very elementary. But I think a lot of people look past the very elementary stuff. Yeah. Here's just one for instance. The reason I like to hunt with Mark and some other people is many things, but one thing is he sees game. I just got done hunting on a hunt with my daughter with an outfitter that comes into my bow shop, and he said, hey, let's just go out and hunt together. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing that because he's a very successful mule deer hunter. And we're having this discussion, and, and, and he's seen a lot of game. He's seen a lot of deer. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of animals, but he's seeing most of them. Mm-hmm. My eyes aren't as good as they used to be. That's a problem. <laughs> but... We start talking about hunting with certain people and just simply seeing more game, seeing the animal. Mm-hmm. People don't understand how much that ups your odds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you can hunt with people that don't see game. And, you're, and guess what? You didn't see any game. Right. You might be hunting with somebody that don't see the really super big deer that was there. And guess what? You didn't see a super big deer. You might hunt with somebody that never sees a four-point buck. Guess what? You never saw a four-point buck. This guy comes in and we... It's like, well, we killed two great bucks. Why? Well, because we saw them. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of seeing them is knowing where to look for them. Yeah. yeah. And so I think a big one is knowing where to look for deer and specifically knowing where to look for big bucks. Um, I think it's, it's so simple, but it's such yeah. a huge thing. That's why I love him because he sees I, – I feel like he sees a lot more deer than I do. I, as, a some ta- people, as a tactician, it's... I can put him in the area to do that. Yeah. But, I mean – you know, seeing that, seeing that vertical line, or that, sorry, that horizontal line that shouldn't be there. If there's snow on the ground looking for a dark object mm-hmm. when you can't see their rump. Just the very um, typical seeing, white ear. Tips, white ears. All those things, I think it's sometimes a gift more than a, than a, than a acquired skill. But, and some people are better. I think you can acquire that skill, but just simply seeing mm-hmm. more game. And Anthony, when I hunt with that, is amazing at it. Yeah. And he's trying to tell me all the guys he likes to hunt with. You know why I like to hunt with him? Because he's amazing at seeing deer. Like, that's it? He just sees them? Yeah, that's it, man. That's all it takes, right? Mm-hmm. Just got to see them. 
That's all it takes. That's all it takes. So so, so knowing where to look ups your odds and how to look for them. Yeah. Well, really quick with that, I guess, what do you, I mean, maybe give me a quick overview, just really quick, of what mule deer do during the day. Like, what's their, what's their morning to evening kind of routine? Because that's also a big part. Yeah, some of it has to do, like, if it's hot, yeah, look in the shade. But, you know, when... When should I be looking for them to be moving? When should I be looking for them to go to water? When should I be looking for them to bed? It's going to be, that can change a lot for sure. So understanding of mule deer, um, God built him as a prey animal, right? Everything's trying to kill him. The last thing you want to be is a mule deer. The last thing you want to do is to be a pile of meat, right? Because everything on the planet is trying to kill him. So they're designed with the four stomachs as a rumen to fill those up as quickly as possible and get out of sight, Okay. I think that, um, so the reason that they would move during the middle of the day is because they need to fill the room in. Every six hours. Right. There you go. He, he's got more specifics on it. They, so, they need to eat every six hours. Yeah. So I guess that what you would do is if, you, if you're sitting there in the morning time and you're like, I didn't see much movement today, you, you probably should, in the morning, sorry, I didn't see much movement this morning, you might not want to go back to camp in the middle of the day. No. No, it's, and it's true with whitetails and mule deer. And, I, you know, I, I live in Texas, and I grew up hunting whitetails. All the guys that kill the best bucks in my part of the woods are the guys that get up at 9 and go sit in their stands till 3. And they always kill the giant bucks at 2 in the afternoon while everybody else is napping. Uh, deer, deer do they, about every six hours going to get at me. If it was legal to hunt deer at night, you'd never see me in daytime. Never. Yep. All deer species, all deer species, especially big mule deer bucks and big whitetail bucks, are, are going to, they spend 90% of their life on their feet in the dark. And I mean, I'm not saying I hunt at night, but if you could hunt at night, yeah. I, you'd never see me in daylight. Because I, no. I want to be out when the deer, I want to use my vacation and my daytime, I want to be out when the deer are moving. So mm-hmm. just say you couldn't use a light, but you could hunt at night. I would find me a light, a tritium light pin that worked on a bow or a rifle, and I would hunt at night on a full moon, you know, and I would, I would, because that's when the deer are moving. That's yeah. when I would hunt the most. And I, I say that because I hunt a lot of hogs in Texas. I spend a lot of time hunting at night, and because of my vision, I do have great vision. And I can shoot hogs in the woods at night with just a regular good loophole scope with no light, nothing. <laughs> just pick them out and shoot them, and I do it a lot. But that's not legal, and I can't do that. Um, but... The prime time to hunt is when you can see them, right? Just like seeing what he said. That's like a really, something profound is in what he said about seeing deer. You cannot kill them if you cannot see them. But the best times to see them are, I was a crack of daylight kind of guy for the longest time. And crack of daylight is good on some hunts in some areas. Mm -hmm. But knowing where deer are coming and going, I'd rather be where deer are going at 8.30 in the morning than where deer are coming from at the crack of daylight. Because yeah. I want them to be set up watching them come to me, right? So I think that mid-morning's really, really good. And because of the terrain, the conducive terrain to tracking, it's just an all-day type of thing. And so if I'm going to go track deer, if I'm going to spot and stalk deer, I want if I'm going to, say, still hunt deer with a bow and arrow, I want to hunt the evenings is the best for me. Uh, mid-mornings, they're kind of getting somewhere quick, but in the afternoon, they kind of get up and just don't really know. Like, you ever go to the fridge and you stare in it for a while and you yep. don't know what you want? <laughs> and you go on the TV and you turn it on and you go through the channels and you really don't know what you want? Then the next thing you know, you blink your eyes and you're standing in the middle of your garage and you don't even know why. Like, why am I even in here? That's how deer are when they get up in the afternoon. So they spend a lot of time in the afternoon not really sure what to do. They're just kind of doing what they want to do. That's kind of their time. That's when I love to be still hunting through the timber for deer and elk with my bow. So I think as a bow hunter, 
I love morning hunts. I'm a morning person. I love to watch sunrises, but I really like evening hunts on deer because that's when you usually catch them doing something really silly. Like, man, that was that's super silly that deer was doing that in the afternoon, but he's just, he's like standing in his garage. You don't really know why at 3.30. I don't even know why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and that's, so morning and evening, Evening is really great if you're going to get out and move around. Changing locations, kind of like hunting turkeys. My favorite time to hunt turkeys is 11 o'clock. Turkeys change location. They get up, they come off the roost, they hit the ground, and they try to get with the hens right away. And by the time they're done messing with those hens, they change location again at 11. Man, that's one of the greatest times to be in the woods hunting turkeys. I think 9.30 in the morning is a great time to be hunting deer. When you saw the big vanilla buck, I call him the vanilla buck, the big plain Jane 200 typical this year, when you and Doug saw him, wasn't that like in the middle of the still weird part of the afternoon? Twelve thirty. Yeah, twelve thirty. <laughs> it was noon thirty. He was. He had decided he wanted to drink. He was up, and he was up, and he just yeah. went. So you can almost take everything everybody's ever said or written and just wad it up and throw it in the trash. And all I can say is go be in the woods, and when you see one move around, shoot it. But that's not <laughs> what people want to buy. That's, that's why people don't want to sit here. I but mean, that's how you. That's how you get it done. The more time you spend <laughs> yeah, in the woods, I've shot a lot of deer with this guy at two o'clock in the afternoon, whether yep. tracking or we've just shot a lot of deer in the middle of the day. I was gonna say, if you're not in the woods, you're not yeah, killing the reason me and him will kill a yeah, lot of deer it. in the middle of the in the middle of the day is because we've been in the woods in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of it. Yeah, it's and it's food source related. If if there's if if a deer's bedding somewhere for safety and the food's out here and they got to go to the food source and out, it's going to be a different story than mm-hmm. if there's a patch of oak that's dropping acorns. They're going to eat and lay down, eat and lay down. They're not going to move. They're not yeah. going to move. So you have to recognize that and then glass that or hunt that. Mm-hmm. So it can be very much food source related when you see them as well. I think all animals with that thick oak coat heading into wintertime are hot. So I think it's also more comfortable to not be up and walking around it, yeah. it's 78 degrees at 2 o'clock so they're in the shade or they're still in the bedding area and I think that has some what, mm-hmm. something to do with it as well but um, it's just fun I mean, you, some of the fun part of it is, is every buck's got a personality and figuring that individual buck out can be the funnest challenge of all because he might behave yep. he might misbehave according to everything we're talking about right yeah. so you just yeah. never know yeah yeah. All right. So folks want to find you gentlemen online, follow along with the shenanigans, all the, the big mealies. Where can they uh, where can they check things out? Um, so I, I just have an Instagram for my store. It's um, expert archery underscore pro shop. And there's no E at the front of expert archery it starts with an X. And it's not my personal page, but I'll throw up big mule deer on there occasionally and stuff. Uh, yeah. some, some that our customers kill, some that we kill. And um, I stay off of it on a personal level. <laughs> But I got to kind of do it for my shop. So that's I'm, about I'm a little only, bit jealous of that. That's the only place you can find me. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the last of the Mohicans on social media. But me, I have my Muley Slayer 1, at Muley Slayer 1 on Instagram. And I have a Facebook page, Facebook backslash Muley Slayer. There we go. All right, to close it out, one thing I always love to ask is if, you know, maybe somebody you run into somebody here at the, uh, here at the expo or whatever it is, somebody comes into your shop, uh, says, Hey, you know, I've always been interested in hunting, but I just have no background in it, no friends, no family, no one that does this. It's really intimidating. I want to do it, but I don't know if it's something I can do. What would you say to that person to encourage them to encourage them in their hunting journey? Um, man, just it's a really fun thing to do, and it's in every human being you're born with it, even if you're a vegan. If you're a vegan, you were born with the instinct to hunt. You may not be a meat eater, but it's in your instinct to hunt. I would say go, if if you're interested in getting into hunting, understand the purpose of hunting. 
Don't worry about what social media or branding or likes or anything, anything to do with social media hunting, but go understand hunting. Go, go look up hunting and the purpose of why people hunt and then start talking to people in conservation groups like this, like the Mule Deer Foundation. I would start there and find out the purpose of hunting and how it falls into the big scheme of life and then decide whether hunting is for you or not. And if you, if you do your research and figure out and I'm, 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 I'm a Christian, so if you look at it from a Christian standpoint, you were intended to hunt. It's in your DNA to hunt from God, from birth. Figure that out. Go talk to conservation groups about the right ways to go about it. Get involved. I think you find and keep it fun. I think everyone on this planet could, could learn that hunting is part of who they are, and they should give it a shot. At least go learn all you can about it. I'm going to give an outside-the-box answer because I'm an outside-of-the-box guy, right? All right, all right. Um, and maybe it is an outside-the-box, but I get that question all the time in my archery shop. I get guys and, and gals even coming in all the time. Hey, I want to start bowing. What do I need to do? I'm in a position where it's, it's really cool because it's like, well, first we're going to sell you bow, but we take it very serious. We're going to set you up in archery lessons. And part of those archery lessons, we did it for a lady. I'm going to make this fast. She had never hunted before, period. She steps into a bow hunt on the sergeants in New Mexico, which is one of our best elk hunting units. Part of her lessons was teaching her the anatomy of an elk, shot angles, shot execution, ethical shot distance. Mm -hmm. And when that was all said and done, she had taken a PSE mini, mini burner, which is a $199 bow. It's got plastic limb pockets on it. <laughs> 36 pounds at 20 yards, came home with a six-point bull elk. Ooh. That's what I'm talking about, right? So we're in a position where we can help that journey in my archery shop. And that's the best way I can kind of answer yeah, that from that my perfect standpoint. perfect answer. Um, is we, we have a hands-on approach to that. Right, we teach them how to do it. Yep. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. All right, guys, thank you so much for sitting down and taking the time with me. I really, really appreciate it. It's really excited to release this episode. I am excited to head down to Arizona this August <laughs> and uh, let's just say upgrade the size a little bit. Let's see. There you go. <laughs> good luck to you, man. Yeah, good luck. It was awesome. Thanks for having us. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure you check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Go check out the guys' socials. Give them a follow. That'll do it for this week. But until next time, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. 